All right, so we're going to jump right in. Uh, you should have received one of these when you walked in. If you did not get one of these, uh, just go ahead and raise your hand. Rachel and uh, Lucy will hand one to you. Uh, if, if everybody's got one, then great. But if not, just leave your hand raised. And while they're doing that, uh, I will want to share with you kind of what this day was going to be. Uh, I didn't actually explain what happened first service. I just had this epiphany that I really messed up in first service. But it's always a second chance, and you guys are my second chance. Um, no, in, in first service, uh, I had mentioned that originally our family meeting uh, was going to include our founding pastor, Pastor Dan Hicks, uh, who was going to be here and uh, share in the celebration with us. Uh, pastor Dan planted this church 22 years ago, and uh, uh, the church has been all over San Antonio in different locations until they settled here in Stone Oak, and I'll give you uh, some more information about that. Uh, but Pastor Dan found out uh, right uh, before, let's see, in November, he had just come back from a hunting trip, went to the doctor because he had a pain in his leg, and it turns out he had a two-inch by three-inch hole in his femur. Uh, and I'm no doctor, but that doesn't sound good. And, uh, and so they, they did a bunch of biopsies. They didn't determine until right before Christmas uh, that it was this really rare form of, of a bone-eating cancer. And he was laying in bed uh, right before Christmas. And you know how when you start to, you start to nod off to sleep and your body kind of jerks? Well, he did that, but it broke his femur. And, uh, and snapped it in half. Uh, 40 hours later, he's in surgery, uh, and they did a total femur replacement with a tight. I didn't even know they could do that. Back in the olden days, they would have just taken your leg, but he's got a titanium bone, basically, that's set into his kneecap and into his hip joint, and he's having to learn how to rewalk. Um, is that a word, rewalk? He's having to learn how to walk again. Um, he's in good spirits. He's doing uh, surprisingly well. His therapy, is, his physical therapy is going really well. Um, but he can't be, he can't travel for at least like three months, three to four months. Um, so uh, when that happens, we plan to bring him back uh, and have him speak and be a part of the celebration of getting out of debt and the payoff of the property and all the things I'm about to talk about, but the hope was that he was going to be here for this, uh, and and yet, uh, I'm, you know, obvious for obvious reasons he can't be, and um, so I'm looking forward to to having him in a few months. Well, we're going to jump right into uh, this uh, annual report that you have. I have uh, much more details, so we're going to open it up for questions in in just a moment. Uh, I want to give some clarifications here because the assumption is that uh, you can read for yourself all the details, but. Uh, oftentimes the question comes up, what's the difference between tithable income and total income? And, uh, and so tithable income is uh, when, we, when the ushers come and we receive an offering and you, and you tithe into that offering, that's our tithable income. Uh, and that's what we then tithe off of. Total income includes things like uh, when we go on a Columbia missions trip and you give us your registration fees for that, that's included in total in total income. Um, if uh, we have a uh, preschool, Lifehouse KDO, that meets down our hallway Monday through Thursday, and they 
give the church money for rent or for expenses, basically. It doesn't really cover all of our expenses, but it's a, a large chunk of it. And uh, that's also included in tithable income. So I just want to make that clear. That's why that number is higher than our total tithable income. Uh, the total tithable income is what you give uh, every year. Um, so our total expenses is higher than our to total income. And uh, if, if you're in budgeting at all, that's usually not a good thing. Um, this year, uh, we have uh, three months of our, our monthly expenses, three months of our expenses in a bank account. So we have reserves for things like this, where uh, we brought on three new staff members, which incurred uh, a significant amount of expenses, relocation, different things that um, we weren't necessarily anticipating at the beginning of the year. It's a positive thing, um, but it, di it did put us behind a little bit in uh, our annual um, expense uh, versus income. So total personnel costs, administrative costs are there, building improvements. Uh, we also had a significant amount of uh, facility costs this year. Uh, that includes our loan payment uh, in that amount, but it also includes some of the building improvements things uh, that we've done here. On the back page of that is our giving. As I said, we tithe off of the tithe. And uh, we, we would be hypocrites if we stood here and invited you into the principle of the tithe, as I did last year, and then not practice it ourselves. And so uh, this is our tithe, and that tithe goes to things like church planning and leadership development and missions. Uh, you can see all of the other areas in which we've given, not all the areas, but some of the other areas in which we've given. Uh, the last line there, church planning, we helped a a uh, church plan up in Austin, who's a sister church of ours, they were moving into a new building, they needed a sign, and so we, bought, we, we helped buy them a sign, and so we got to do some of that things. 2018 wins are all on there for you to take a look at, and then on the back page is uh, our kids and uh, next-gen stuff that's, that's taking place. We, uh, one, we got a report on, uh, on our live stream. I thought it was kind of interesting because we've had some trouble with our live stream. If you've ever tried to watch it, at times it can be frustrating. We're working out the kinks on it. Um, but uh, we had in 2018, 1,964 unique views uh, and 3,300 total views. And we had people watching from Texas, Georgia, California, Kansas, and Washington. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, so one of the, uh, moving forward into 2019, uh, we have decided as a church council to uh, be conservative in our budgeting. So typically, uh, when you have, when you pay off your debt and all of that, it seems like, oh, okay, well, now we have this influx of money, but um, we've decided to be conservative. So our 2019 budget is actually the same amount that we received in 2018, so if you look at that first page, the 935,788 tithable income is what our budget is for 2018. There's a couple of reasons why for that. Uh, one is that we're, we're really kind of at our max capacity in our current situation unless we add another service. Uh, we're okay in here. If you look around, you can see seats and and it seems like we could fit more in here. This isn't really the problem. The problem is our kids' department. They're spilling into our conference room and any place that we can find them and, or find place for them, as well as our parking. And you might have experienced that last week because I went long. So 
Um, we're looking at all of those decisions and saying, what, what do we need to do to uh, adjust that? But because of those reasons, we felt like we wanted to go into 2019 pretty conservative and not anticipate some huge influx of, of tithable giving. So, although I did talk about it last week, so we'll see what happens. Um, a couple other things. Um, our, so this year, we uh, got out of debt. Um, just to give you some context in this, uh, when Pastor Dan uh, and the leadership of this church, now, tw- uh, let's see, it would have been, I'm doing some math, math for ministers, 17 years ago, um, they were looking for a permanent location and, uh, and were uh, pointed to the property that we currently sit on. Uh, this property consisted of 21 acres, and they had done this master plan uh, for it. The, the 21 acres was being offered to the church at $350,000. <laughs> Anybody want to take that deal now? Like, right? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do it right now. Uh, and uh, so 21 acres, $350,000, and the church leadership went back to the seller and said, we can't afford it. They didn't have the money. They only had 300000 and so the uh, the buyer or the seller said, "Well, I'll tell you what. I'll sell it to you for three hundred thousand dollars if you if you give me a fifty thousand dollar tax write off." And they said, "We think we can do that." So they bought the twenty one acres for three hundred thousand um, dollars. They then proceeded to take out a loan of about one point eight million dollars in order to build this facility and do all of the ground site work and all that. Um, when Kelly and I got here, that was, a, that was a pretty large loan for a church their size at the time. But when Kelly and I got here, the church was about 123 people. Um, that's an enormous loan for 123 people to carry. Uh, and so um, we had to refinance, do a bunch of stuff to, to get our loan payment down. And now we, uh, at the end of 2018, we owed $1 million. So we had paid off 800000 of it uh, in the last 11 years. And, um, and then we decided four years ago to get out of debt. Uh, so that was part of the paying off of the loan. Uh, the church council decided that, um, that we were to section off a portion of our property. Uh, the master plan consisted of a, a large mega church auditorium at the top of the property. And it just really wasn't our vision uh, for that, to, to go into more debt for another building. And uh, and so we decided to portion off uh, about 10 to 11 acres to sell. Uh, well, in December of 2018, uh, it did sell. It finally closed. Uh, and we sold the 11 acres for $2.8 million. So you can do the math. And, um, and it was a good deal. And, and that's why we want to celebrate with Pastor Dan and, uh, and the vision and the leadership that they had uh, to buy that property in the first place. Now, what that means is that we were able to pay off the rest of our loan, and we as a church are completely debt-free, and, uh, and we have some in the bank, which is really awesome. Um, now, what it doesn't mean is that everybody gets to stop tithing, <laughs> right? Because that's not what the tithe is about. It's not about need. It's not about any of that. It's about the principle of the tithe and what God wants to do in your life. So, um, so there was expenses involved with that. There was uh, lawyer expenses. There was broker expenses. And, and so all that stuff was taken out of the, the, the proceeds of that. Um, but I just wanted to let you guys know and, and celebrate the fact that as a church, we are uh, obviously financially as healthy as it's ever been in the life of our church. And I can honestly say that we are 
uh, as financially secure as uh, I would say we are in a very small percentage of churches in our country who aren't in some sort of uh, debt. And so that's, that's a huge thing. We now get to be thinking about ministry and uh, what can we, what, good, what does God want us to do? It's not that we haven't been thinking about ministry, but when you always got to go and say, I got to give $10,000 to a building payment, uh, that's hard. And, and so now we're, we're able to do that. Um, our church council is made up of people from our congregation. The criteria to being on a church council is you have to be a tithing member of our church. Uh, you get uh, voted into it for a two-year term. You can serve up to two terms, four years, and it's a volunteer position. Our church council is not paid. I'm a part of that, but I don't vote on that unless there's a tie, in which there will never be, as long as I'm the pastor of the church, a tie. Uh, because if the Holy Spirit can speak to half of the group, he can speak to the other half. And so I, I just don't believe in making uh, enemies in church council decisions and financial decisions saying, see, I told you we shouldn't have spent that money or see, we should have done this. And uh, no, if we can't make the decision together in unity, then we're not going to make the decision at all. Our church council uh, is losing three of its members, uh, John Thresher, uh, Troy Meyer. John Thresher's in this service. Troy Meyer was in first service and uh, Brian Cesaric, who's visiting his daughter up in Dallas today. Uh, we are replacing those council members, hopefully with your vote of confidence, uh, with three new people, uh, two of which, because this past year I've operated my church council without a single woman on my council. I'm not okay with it. Uh, I'm not okay with it because I think there's a perspective that women bring uh, that some of, some of us men, we just don't get. And, and you know this. Uh, so uh, we're actually adding two new women to the council uh, one is Mallory DeRazio. I, I apologize for the size of the text. Hopefully you can read some of that. I heard first service. You can't read the middle one, uh, and I'll read that in a second. So Mallory DeRazio, Jessica Lerma, uh, and then Bob Rivera are going to be the three that you're going to vote on today. And you're giving a vote of confidence. So you're not voting. You're not, we're not pitting these people against each other. There's no runoff. There's no hanging chat. It's just do you... Uh, have confidence that they can serve you as your church council member. I recognize that's challenging because you may not know some of these people, uh, but you can know that we have vetted these people. We know uh, who they are. We know that they're tithing members of our church. So uh, that all of those things are there. And you can say, well, why do we have to vote? Well, because there may be something about these three people that I don't know, right? So, there, uh, you know, Logan... Mallory's son could say, well, my mom beats me all the time, you know, and I wouldn't know that, you know, uh, and I wouldn't believe it, but it, there's just things that, that could be there that we just don't know, and so we want to make sure that as far as we can, to the best of our ability, we vetted people to go through this process. So at the end of my message, there'll be a basket that goes by. You'll drop your, your ballot in there uh, and vote yes or no. My question or my hope for you is that if you mark no uh, please mark on the back why you're marking no is if it's just because you don't know the person you can't do it that's okay just mark that down but if it's no because you have a serious concern or something I, I really need to know about that it'll stay confidential I'll get those ballots uh, because I, I don't want to uh, set anybody up for um, uh, an attack from the enemy or anything along those lines so uh, we believe that, uh, uh, that these people will, will serve you well, um, but we also want to make sure that you feel that way too, all right?
Good. Do me a favor real quick. Everybody stand to your feet. And now, is there anybody that has any questions? First service, I didn't have any people stand, and so everybody was, like, terrified uh, to come forward. So if you have a question, you can come forward. There's two microphones. There's one here. There's one there. Uh, and you can ask the question, and oh, dear God, here we go. <laughs> since, since I'm the only one on the automotive ministry concerned about parking, who do we sell our property to? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking that. Um, I, that was asked first service as well. We sold to a group called Live Development Group. They're out of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, they have the intention to uh, put up multifamily, so it's going to be a part. It's going to be apartment complexes. It'll be high-end apartments. Um, and I recognize that with the community, that's not super uh, um, exciting to some because of schools and traffic and some of that. Um, but we're in the people business, so we're kind of excited about it. Um, and I live in this community, and so I recognize the challenges that come with that. Um, but uh, we believe that it, it was the right decision. Um, we originally, about a year and a half ago, had a group that was going to put a retirement, a retirement community there, and it was going to be senior living. Some of the senior living apartments were going to be subsidized, and, all, and our HOAs around us uh, flipped out because they're afraid of subsidized senior citizens. And, uh, and I say that somewhat sarcastically uh, because I meant it to be sarcastically. I think it's ridiculous. But they actually kind of ran the other group off. I don't know if they would have finalized it necessarily, but that was the direction. They had drawings and everything, and there was so much kind of pushback from the community that they didn't, they didn't want senior citizens in our community. Um, so uh, I'm sure there's more to that. But does that answer your question? Another question that came up uh, in first service was, what about the traffic and some of that? Uh, we believe that the city's going to make uh, the apartment complex put a deacceleration lane in, and we've already been in contact with them about the possibility of them uh, extending that deacceleration lane all the way to our entrance up at the top of the property. Uh, if anybody's tried to pull into our property with somebody going 70 miles an hour behind them, you are taking your life in your hands. So, uh, Question, yes. Um, you would have to talk to the council about that. Uh, the council determines uh, all of our staff salary. Uh, and um, the, the way that it's broken down is based upon a matrix that we have. I talked a little bit about this last week uh, in that. And, um, and it starts at a um, first-year school teacher income in NEISD, and then it builds from there. Uh, but then it has kind of this cap in which, uh, in which we hit. Um, and then it's kind of cost of living only. Um, because we sold the property, n nobody's getting huge pay raises or anything along those lines. We're, like I said, we're being really conservative with our budget. Um, I would have to, if, if you are a tithing member of the church, I would have to direct you to the council, uh, and, uh, and they could answer that question for you. About you only get one question. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, my, your staff asked when they were getting raises, they asked me a question about it. But what, what are you going to do about the profit? Uh, what are some of the ideas? Well, um, it's a good question. Right now, it's sitting in our money market account, which isn't you know gaining a whole lot of interest, but it's better than nothing. And um, we're really praying about that. Uh, some of what I'm, I'm going to share today is what the future looks like for us as a church. 
Uh, and here's what I know. Here, here's one thing that I know for sure. We need to expand our parking. So we are going to put some money towards parking. Um, and then we're also looking at a few different projects, but we're also trying to be really cautious that we're not just spending that money because we have expenses that will be coming. Our air conditioning units that cool this room are 14 years old, almost 15 years old. And when you replace yours, it's like uh, maybe $8,000 for the whole, the whole thing. Ours is like $18,000 to do one, and we've got four that cool this room. So those are some of the things that we're just trying to be cautious of to make sure that um, we're not just spending money just because we have it. Uh, so we're, we're trying to be um, frugal about that. And then, and then we're looking at our classroom size and, you know, what does that mean for us as a church? Is there, is there funds to be able to expand and some of that? Um, but we're going to be, that's where our church council will come into play. Uh, I'm also putting an advisory team together that's kind of separate from the church council that will help with some of those big decisions. Yeah. Someone else? Anybody else? I made it easy. I made everybody stand so you can just slip out and, and get there. Uh, we got one more. Con nope, that's Miguel. Um, all right. Well, I'll do this for me. Close your eyes. And um, you think I'm going to pray, but I'm not. Uh, and I want to count to three. And on the count of three, when I say three, uh, I want you to point north. All of us. One, two, three. She cheated because she was here for service. Uh, so keep your hand up, keep your hand up, even if you pointed the wrong direction or it doesn't look like the mass is, okay, so look around, there's different people pointing, oh, there, yeah, there's, that's what my wife was doing first service, she's like, Jesus, I think he's the answer to this. Um, so north is actually that way, okay, and everybody that got it right are like, you suckers, you don't know where north is, right? So now I'm going to count to three. I'm going to count to three again, and uh, I want everybody in the room to point north. Ready? One, two, three. All right. Now look around. Everybody's pointing. Some people are like, I'm not playing your dumb games. I'm new here. All right. So it's interesting kind of this feeling when everybody's kind of pointing in the same direction, right? Go ahead and be seated. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what it would look like if all of us were headed in the same direction together. There's a historian, his name's uh, Daniel Burston. He, um, I, I stumbled across this because uh, this last week, somebody's daughter was doing a homework assignment uh, for their college, and they had to put a business plan together on something that doesn't exist for travel uh, that they could put a business class. And so they asked me, like, what, if you were traveling, what would that be the thing you want? And so I just started researching, and I came across this. I, I found it very interesting. I think it's applicable for us um, today. So this historian, Daniel Burson, he, he documents this shift that has occurred in North America in the 19th century. He noticed that we stopped calling people who went on trips travelers and started calling them tourists. So a traveler literally means one who travels, or, or excuse me, you're like, duh. No, it, it literally means one who travails. He labors, he suffers, he endures to get there. He immerses himself in the culture. He learns the language and customs. He, he lives with the locals. He imitates the dress. He eats what's set before him. He takes risks, uh, some enormous risks, and makes sacrifices. He's gone a long time, and if he returns, he returns forever altered. A tourist, not so much. Tourist means literally one who goes in circles, 
He's, he's just taking an exotic detour home. He's passing through, sampling wares, acquiring souvenirs. He retreats each night to what's safe and familiar, picks up a word or a phrase here and there, but the language and the world it's embedded in remains opaque and cryptic. These are his words. He returns to where he's come with an album of photos, a few mementos, a cheap hat, and he's happy to be back. What's interesting is I think we've made this similar shift in the church. But at some point, we stopped calling Christians disciples and started calling them believers. A disciple is one who follows and imitates Jesus. They lose their life, as Scripture talks about, in order to gain it. They steep in the language and culture of Christ, and his world world reshapes their world. It changes them from the inside out and how they see and think and dream and how they live. A believer, not so. He holds certain beliefs, but how deep those beliefs go depend on the weather or his mood. He can get defensive, and sometimes, but not always, in his honest moments, he wonders why there's very little change in his life. The interesting thing is, is you can't be a disciple without being a believer, But equally as interesting is you can be a believer without being a disciple. Meaning you can come and believe all the right things and you can even go through the motions as a believer. But at the end of the day, there's not a lot of transformation that's taking place in the individual's life. There's a word that's been important to Kelly and I and it's the word wholeness. Wholeness is the, the state of, un, uh, of being unbroken or undamaged. And moving towards a place of wholeness will require some change. It dawned on uh, Kelly and I that uh, for almost 12 years, we had just stepped into ministry and really got into the busyness and the treadmill of, of moving us forward as a church. And there's been really, really good things, and there's been life change that's take, taken place over the last 11 years in LifeHouse. And, uh, and we, we've seen God's hand, we've seen God's provision, but, but we, we realize that we never have stopped and asked the question, why us? Like, well, why, why did God bring us here? There's plenty of people who are better pastors and better communicators and better leaders than us. And this isn't a, like a, oh, I'm fishing for a comment or anything. I'm just telling you that that's the true reality of our, of our hearts. See, up to this point, we've, we've been very inclusive in allowing a lot of voices weigh in on, on where we're headed as a church. And that's not been a bad thing, and I don't regret it for a second. We went through a process about six years ago called Church Unique, where it was basically a strategic planning process for us as a church. And through that process, we've discovered quite a few things that got us to where we are today. And and that's been a good thing. But we believe that God's brought us here to this church for a specific reason, that there are things, and, and really what I'm discovering, both of us are discovering, is that that God has a plan and purpose, not just for Lifehouse Church, but he has a plan and purpose for us. And, and that, that plan is to lead our church into the direction that he's called us 
to lead our church. And it's not to say that I don't have voices now speaking into my life or, or into our life, leading and guiding us into, uh, into the future of our church. Of course we do. But there is some things that the Lord has embedded into us where, as a church, we may not have been headed in that same direction. And, and so we believe that the Lord's calling us to kind of pivot the way we've been doing church and move people from being believers to disciples. So there's, there's really three things that we believe that if we could lead our church into as leadership of our church, if we could take people through this, through these three growth areas of their life for, for however long that we have people, because we live in a transient community. You can look at the numbers of our church and how many people have visited our church, how many people have come here for a while and then they move away or they uh, go to another church or they uh, end up at, uh, because of military, they end up moving away because of that. And, uh, and so we, you look at it and so we, we really just say, rather than like freak out about that, we just say, if God's entrusted us with people for as long as we have those people, there are three areas of growth that we would want to instill in those people's lives. And I, I want to share those with you this morning. And it's really what we believe wholeness is all about. You're never going to arrive, by the way, to a place of wholeness. It's not like someday you're just going to jump through these hoops and all of a sudden, bang, you don't have to grow anymore. The reality is that's not, that's not how the kingdom of God works. The, the truth is, is that that you actually are constantly in process. We are all moving forward, hopefully, in our relationship with God, that there should be growth. If you are a disciple, you're becoming more and more like Christ. If you're a believer, that growth may stagnate. It may stop. And so what we're saying is we really believe that we want to lead people into this discipleship process. And these are the three areas of growth that, uh, that we want to see. One is that we want to see every person grow deeper in their relationship with God. And you can say, well, duh, right? I mean, like, of course, you're a church. You, well, sure, surely that is a, a part of what we've been doing, and it has been for the most part. But I, I want to see people's spiritual growth at a, at a very minimum. Every person that attends Lifehouse would experience the life transformation that's promised in Scripture. Not just experience a nice service or experience uh, a, a good environment or experience community, but they would actually experience an internal transformation that takes place in their life. We know that salvation is a free gift from God, obviously. And there's nothing we can do to earn it, but being a disciple of Jesus comes with a cost. We want to be people who understand that cost. We want to be a people who understand that God loves them uniquely, not just because you attend Lifehouse, but that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God loves you not as a whole, but as an individual, that he has a plan and a purpose for your life, for your life. We want people to know that and understand that. We want people to learn how to pray and how to unleash the power of the Holy Spirit. Believers believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Disciples unleash the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to, be, we, we want to see people learn about Jesus' heart for serving those who are in need. And we want to 
We want to empower people to a place that not only do they recognize that the enemy of our soul often has these strongholds that hold us back, but that every person would understand what it is to destroy the strongholds that, the Satan, that Satan has over people's lives. Second, so we call that first thing spiritual growth, right? We're super unique with that. It, it's our spiritual life. I, uh, I like the word. I've kind of categorized these in three words. We haven't fully settled on them, but uh, it's three categories, uh, spiritual intelligence, emotional intelligence, and cultural intelligence. And uh, my wife is, is, is challenging me a little bit on that because we don't ever want to sound like, oh, we just need to be smarter or something along those lines. But we do want people to have a healthy growth process in this, to move from, to move from believer to disciple. So second in this second category, we believe that when, one, when every person fully grips the fullness of God's plan and purpose for their life, they begin to experience breakthrough in their life. And you say, well, what do you mean by breakthrough? It means that you discover patterns and potential that actually change the trajectory of your life. It means that you name what God has put you on earth to do, not just be in the, in the busyness, in the treadmill of life, but that God actually, before you were ever born, had a plan and a purpose. And we want to help you discover that because we believe if you do, you'll experience breakthrough in your life. It, may, it means creatively imagining where God is taking your life. It means prioritizing in, in, in these singular goals to get there. It's about traction. It's about reflection that leads to action in your life. We, we call that the emotional intelligence side of things. That if we are going to be a people of wholeness, then that's a part of it. Third, we believe that when people step into new cultural dynamics, it provides a new perspective to the heart of God. And notice I said the word step into, because that's different than just giving. And I don't want to minimize giving because that's an important part of what it is that we do. We are a generous church. When the plea comes, you give. We saw that with our passion offering, and, uh, and we've seen that with Columbia Missions, and we've seen that with uh, with sponsoring of children uh, in Compassion International in Colombia, there, there, there is that element, and there's nothing wrong with that element, but we believe that if we are to have a bigger picture of what it is that God is the heart of God towards people, we actually have to move from just giving to stepping into their world, into their life, into serving. So what that looks like is in the context of, of sponsoring a child with Compassion First, or excuse me, Compassion International. That when you're sponsoring that child, maybe it means just taking another step into actually writing your child a letter because you don't realize how much that means to them. So you're moving beyond just a monetary process to now it's time and it's effort and it's emotion and it's, it's really getting to know the child that you're sponsoring and their family. We see this through serving our partnership ministries. We do this through, through babysitting for foster families, as you've been hearing about. We do this by stepping into another cultural environment and getting into their world, even if it's just for a moment. 
So it's great that we can give money to put roofs on the, the churches of Columbia, but maybe an opportunity and maybe a step for you is to go and to step into the, your, your child's home and to get to know the family because I guarantee if you step into their cultural environment, you will not return the same. We believe that if we are to be a people of wholeness, we have to understand different cultures. We have to understand that we live in a world that is very different from the kingdom of God, right? That we can't expect people who are not disciples or even believers for that matter to to think the same way that we think, to act the same way that we act. And we would never change who we are in according to the gospel and according to being disciples of Christ, but we do need to understand where people are coming from. So first service, I stuck my foot in my mouth. As I said earlier, you get to be my second chance. We live in a culture that is, that is ungodly. And I don't know why we're surprised by that. And so people often will react and respond in, in horrible ways because I think we have this expectation that the people around us who aren't disciples of Jesus would act the same way as we do. And I'm not talking about better or any of those things. I'm just saying I, I got uh, a couple text messages this last week saying, what are we going to do about this new law that's been passed in New York? When, when do we, as a church, stop just agreeing with stuff or not saying anything? And by not saying anything, we're saying something and, and all of that. And if you're visiting with us, man, I, I really hope you know that I, I don't really, I talk about controversial things if they're in Scripture, if they're a moral issue, an ethical issue. I don't talk about political things uh, from the platform. I really don't even talk with individuals about where I stand with politics much. But I don't believe that this is a political thing, and I, um, I certainly, uh, I certainly didn't come here. If you if you look at my notes, there's a big gap here because it wasn't something that I was going to talk about. And in fact, what I told the two individuals that texted me, I said, "Well, of course you should say something, do something, do write your congress, do do something because you are a disciple of Christ." But the expectation is that no. We, as a church, we need to do something. As, as the pastor of our church, we need to say something. And, uh, and, I, and I thought, that, that's all of our jobs. As disciples of Jesus, that's our jobs, is to, if we disagree with something that's a, a, a moral, ethical issue, then we need to say something. And, and then I realized that uh, maybe I do need to say something. And it's risky, honestly, because I know that there's uh, people who, who have different opinions about this topic and, and all of that, and I'll, I'll give you my opinion on it. Um, but I also recognize that this, especially if you don't know what I'm talking about, this law in, in New York, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't been on Facebook in the last seven days. Um, but it's this new law that's been passed in, in New York uh, about abortion and the term of the abortion, and it's really a law, and, and I know there'll be people who disagree, but I've actually done the research of it and not just read Facebook. Um, it's really a law that's kind of, it's, it's, it's been in place with, with an exception, right? It's been in place, and it's in place in my home state of Oregon. It's, it's not unlike that, and so I'm, I'm equally upset with states. Um, 
My, my issue with it is that it, it has removed abortion from the penal code. And, and here's my problem with that, is that if a, a pregnant woman um, is, I know this is a little bit graphic and gross, but uh, gets stabbed in the stomach and that baby dies, uh, then the person can't, and the mom lives, the person can't be charged for murder. And, and I just, I think that's, that's wrong from that standpoint, um, because we believe, we believe in a God of life, not death. And, and I, I recognize that that's a sensitive subject, because there, in, a, in a church our size, there certainly are people who have experienced abortion personally in their life. And nothing I would say about it, I hope, I hope you could hear my heart and and I hope I do this better than I did first service because I had to come back up, cut the worship short. I just, I realized that I did not address this. Is that we serve a God of forgiveness and of grace. Not a God of shame, not a God of guilt, but of forgiveness and grace. And so no, no matter what you've experienced in your life, whether you have a family member or whether you yourself have had to experience this, it's challenging. I'm, I'm a man. I know you know that. But to, to even talk on this subject, you know, you're like, well, you're a man. You shouldn't even be talking about it. But I'm, I'm really speaking from a disciple of Jesus that, that I know that, that abortion is not his will. That's not his will because, because we serve a God of life. And not death. Now saying that, we also serve a God of forgiveness and grace. And if that's you, if you've experienced that, you have grace. You don't have to live under shame. You don't have to live under condemnation. God's grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient. And so I, I felt like I needed to say something because I've, I've, I don't know that I've ever talked about this in our church. But I don't believe that abortion is God's will. I don't. And I know that's maybe drawing a line in the sand that some of you will not be able to handle, but, but I'd like to talk to you more about that if uh, Kelly and I feel strongly about that and, um, and we understand circumstances and situations and all that, but uh, we just don't, there's a lot of things that aren't God's will that, uh, that are decisions that we make, but we serve a God of grace and forgiveness. And I'll follow it up with saying this, and this really just, you know, can of worms. Um, I, I value the life of an unborn child as much as I value an immigrant coming into our country. I get it. I know it's challenging. I know there's politics and all of that nonsense. But it doesn't change that God makes no discrimination against life. He doesn't. And neither should we. If we're being a disciple of Jesus, if we're, if we're following Jesus, if we're not just a believer that kind of, yeah, I believe in God. He's kind of up there. He's distant. But we're actually pressing in and, and becoming more like Jesus. Then you have to ask yourself, how would Jesus respond in circumstances and situations? The Jesus that I read in Scripture is about life and love. And compassion. And I want to be that. I'm not all the time. But I want to become more like that. I want to become more compassionate, more gracious, more loving towards people who may not 
look the same way as I do. People who, who may think differently than I do. I want to love those people. See, I believe when we step into other people's culture and other people's lives, even if just for a moment, it gives us the eyes of our Heavenly Father, it gives us the heart of Jesus to respond to people. To move into wholeness requires change. Essentially, change is the new norm. Right, Because if you're growing in your relationship with God, if you're not just a believer that's consuming, if you're not just a tourist, but you're actually a traveler into this journey of faith, then it means that you're constantly changing, you're constantly learning, you're constantly growing deeper in your understanding of what it means to be a disciple. So people who don't like change are like, I don't know, I, can't, I don't do change, Right? but I would say change is the new norm in your Christian life. And so there's tools, right? I mean, there's, uh, when, when somebody says to you, you should really spend more time reading God's word, and, and here's a tool, here's like a, a, a journal for you, and it's got a reading plan, and every day you just take a chunk of, and it's, it's like, is there anything magical about the, the reading plan? The answer to that question is, is no. But it's a tool that helps you for a very great principle. And so uh, as we move into 2019, there will be tools that we'll be introducing to you as a church. They're not, they're not uh, the end all. They're, not, they're just a step towards wholeness. They're a process that's in place. And for each of the, the spiritual growth, the emotional growth, the cultural growth, there'll be opportunities for you as a part of Lifehouse Church to grow into those areas. What that here's one of the things that are changing immediately. So, uh, starting today, uh, we're not having life track anymore. And for every Sunday that you've been coming to Lifehouse, you have heard an announcement that says life track today, following second service, child care provided. Let us know how many of you come and so you can feed you, right? You've heard that announcement a lot. But we've decided to uh, get rid of life track and instead have quarterly. Uh, connect meetings, which would be the connection to the church and membership and all that. But one of the primary reasons is because it's, it, and, and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, this was all of our decision to do this this way, um, but part of life track is to help you discover your purpose in an hour and a half, right? That somehow we're going to help you discover why God put you on earth to live this out in your life in an hour and a half. We can help do a, a personality assessment, which we've done, and we can do some of these other things, but we're not going to probably get down to the, to the depth of understanding why God has created you in an hour and a half over lunch. It's just probably not going to happen. But it is very much a big part of what we want to see happen in people's lives. We want people to discover their purpose. And so there's a tool that we'll be introducing in the middle of the year that's takes people through it. And here's the thing. It's a 12-week process. And you're like, I'm not doing 12 weeks. And I would say, is it possible 
that for the growth, your emotional health, for your understanding of God's given purpose for your life, would you be willing to set time aside to do that? We're looking at the spiritual side, and and we're shifting up how we do life groups. We're going to continue to do life groups how we've always done them in the spring semester, but in the fall, we're shifting them up. And, and we're going to be very specific to make sure that people have the opportunity. Listen, we have people in our church, and this is no judgment, but we have people in our church who have never prayed out loud. And I'm not, I'm not, that is not a judgment, but it, what it is is an indication to me that, that we have cultivated an environment that's about being a believer and not a disciple. And so we want to make sure that every person, if obviously we're not force people, but we want, to, we want you to know that you have the opportunity to step into a growth and a life to move from being believer to disciple and, and to understand what it is to, uh, to, to pray out loud, to understand what it is to serve people who are different than you, to understand what it is to steward the resources that God has for you, to understand what it is to believe what you believe and why. So for us as, as a church, we want to take people through this journey to a place of wholeness in their life. Will you arrive? Probably not. But will you grow? I sure hope so, because if you're not, then we won't be satisfied. We believe that if we can walk people for the time that we have them through, through these three areas of growth and we can see transformation in their life, we've done what God's called us to do. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to receive our offering. And God, I, I, I submit to you. This is not this is not my church. This is not our church. This is your church. We are your people called by you to do abundantly more than we could ever dream or imagine. But there's an element of transformation that we see in Scripture where, where transformation is done solely by you in our life. It's the, the inside-out transformational work of your Holy Spirit. And then there's action steps that we see in Scripture where it says to be transformed and to step into that, where there's action involved with that. And, and so, Lord, I pray that as we go into this new season of the life of our church, that we would all be headed towards the same direction. God, that we would all be excited about not just being a believer, but being a disciple of you. God, we love you. We pray for our tithes and offerings this morning. We say, God, that as they do every Sunday, that we give as a sacrifice of our praise. We give our tithes not because there's need necessarily, because there's, there's want or there's, there's air conditioning or any of that stuff. We give because this is a reminder to ourselves that everything that we have came from you in the first place. And so we trust you in all aspects of our life, even our finances. And God, I pray that you would continue to do the miraculous. God, I pray for more miracles in the life of this church. That we would see transformation take place. That when people walk out these doors, they would be your disciple, not just your believers. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go ahead.
You can drop your card in there. You can drop your ballot in there, and you can drop your tithe in there. Uh, and then once the basket's gone by, you can stand, and we're going to